Was there a coup in China? Well, no, there wasn't. But the rumors were widely circulated, especially throughout Asia, India in particular, when Xi Jinping went quote-unquote missing for a couple weeks there in the middle of September. Uh, the widely circulated rumors across social media said that a coup had taken place because nobody could find Xi. And not only that, there was a couple, as these things go, there was a couple more, more uh, added elements of mystery and intrigue. Apparently, you know, 60% of flights in China were canceled. Some military general was suddenly reassigned and everybody said, oh, he was a Xi supporter. Next thing you know, it was, oh my God, coup in China. But that wasn't true. There was a logical explanation for all of those things, including Xi's mysterious disappearance, which wasn't mysterious at all. He was simply being—he was simply caught up in his own COVID protocols. After a meeting in Samarkand with the Shanghai, uh, what is it called, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, whatever it is, um, with the fellow Western or Asian leaders, um, he had to—he had to—he had to sit out for a couple weeks in quarantine to ensure that he wasn't responsible for another outbreak of coronavirus in China. Flight cancellations, logical explanation for that. Uh, they've been running around 60% relatively normal, or normal, typically, simply because of the same thing. People in China aren't sure whether or not this jurisdiction, this city, this local government is going to be shut down because of COVID or not. And so flight cancellations have become a major part, as well as, you know, army shuffling, top generals moving back and forth. But what really gave the coup rumors legs and legitimacy was a fellow by the name of Song Ping. Now, Song Ping is 105 years old, and he's sort of maybe the spiritual, eh, that's probably going too far for the communists, but he is sort of a very central uh, figure in the uh, Communist Party ethos, mythos, whatever you want to call it, where you know, he has a very deep history. He's sort of an intellectual guiding light for many of the communists, or at least one faction of the communists, which makes all of this intriguing stuff that seem that much more legitimate. Now, what happened while she was away in quarantine, Song Ping was celebrating one of those anniversaries that the communists always celebrate and released a video that got widely circulated because it raised several eyebrows. What Song had said was that political reform, quote, has been the only path to development and progress of contemporary China and the only path to the realization of the Chinese dream. Now, political reform, in these words, are r relatively loaded because they're Xi Jinping's words. And Xi, as we all, we, maybe some of you know, or hopefully a lot of people know, has kind of turned his back on political reform. And that's really the crux of the issue here is whether or not with this 20th Party Congress coming up in just a couple weeks, right now the Chinese are celebrating their Golden Week national holiday, is there fissures in the Communist Party? Is there, is there trouble at the top? Now, obviously, the, the coup rumors didn't work out. There was no coup in China. I'm not sure there ever would be. But the fact that Song's words circulated widely until they were censored in some parts of the uh, Chinese internet, using Xi Jinping's words seemed like maybe a loaded accusation. Given all the more weight because the Communist Party in China earlier this year said 
it is damn near illegal to for especially former officials to criticize current officials. Now, the case can be, a song wasn't criticizing anyone, but there is a history here. There is a history that, that goes back a long ways, and it, de and it has to do with the way in which China seems to be turning for the rest of the 21st century. There's Xi Jinping's way, and then there's the Deng Xiaoping way. Now, Deng came along because he was not the Western reformer that everybody thought he was. He was a committed Marxist, but he had realized the mistakes that Mao Zedong had made. Mao had been a mess. In fact, he created two massive blunders under his own leadership. You had the, uh, the Great Leap Forward, which was a catastrophe by any, uh, any, any stretch of the imagination. And then the Cultural Revolution, which after the Great Leap Forward, Mao was sidelined and he wanted to come back. And he used the brutal repression of the Cultural Revolution to make his way back to the top. Now, the issue here is not just China, it's communism itself. Communists, the communists, going back to Marx, realized that communism doesn't create wealth, it doesn't create economy. That's not its purpose. Its purpose is to, once a, a society has been transformed by the Industrial Revolution and capitalist growth, to then even it out, to create equity, which is all the buzzword you might notice around the rest of the Western world. And what Marx said was, don't you dare try a socialist level revolution in a pre-industrialized society because it will be a disaster. Until the capitalists come in and create wealth and prosperity, it won't work. Communism can't work. But a fellow by the name of Lenin said, I don't want to wait for this to work. And so in, even though Russia was a pre-industrialized society, exactly where Marx said, don't do this, Lenin said, we can't wait. Let's try a different experiment with the socialist revolution where instead of the workers uniting to throw off their capitalist shackles after the capitalists have created a prosperous society, we'll have a revolutionary vanguard take over all levers of power, use whatever means, no matter how brutal and authoritarian necessary, in order to transform society. We'll hurry up the capitalist revolution, which is why, or the socialist revolution in the capitalist transformation which is why Lenin right away created the National Economic Plan, because he intended for the socialists to grasp a limited form of capitalism and force this capitalist transformation on the pre-industrialized society. And of course, it didn't work because it's not going to work. And Mao did basically the same thing with the Great, uh, the, uh, the great Leap Forward, which was, by the way, heavily borrowed from these national economic plans in the Soviet Union. Now, what Deng Xiaoping said later in the 1970s, after Mao had passed away, mercifully, that we're not going to do that anymore. We still committed to the Leninist vision of a vanguard transforming society, but we're not going to do it through the brutal authoritarian means. We're not going to have a cult leader, cult-like leader like Mao, no dictators, no lifetime, uh, lifetime government offices, but we're still committed to this transformation process because at that point, 1970s, the Chinese communists only, didn't really have any other choice. Their other choice we would see in the Soviet Union the decade afterwards, which was a stark uh, slap in the face to the Chinese communists to get going with this transformation. And the transformation was probably best uh, described by a successor to Deng Xiaoping, Zhang Zemin, who in the late 1990s and into the 2000s called it his three represents. 
And these are three goals that the Chinese society has been working toward, which is this ultimate Marxist fantasy of a fully transformed, fully prosperous society, then yielding to the socialist ideals. And three represents said, number one, the first one, economic production, economic prosperity, building wealth, creating the, creating the industrial wealthy society that, that socialist revolution requires. The second represent was Chinese culture. So as China was being transferred, as communist China was being transformed into this wealthy, prosperous society, it must always adhere to Chinese cultural characteristics. And the third and final thing was this, this very old ancient Marxist idea that once you transform uh, the uh, economy into this wealthy, pr prosperous society, then workers, bourgeoisie, everybody would, would, would welcome the transformation and you would have a majority socialist rule. That was the third represent, that the people would grasp, grasp what the revolutionary vanguard had accomplished and then approve of everything that had happened. There would be a consensus, a joyful union of government, economy, workers, and culture. That is what has been the guiding principles for the Chinese communist revolution since the late 1970s when the first special economic zones were set up along the East Coast, especially the Pearl River Delta. It was this idea that we're not, we still need to transform Chinese society, but we're not gonna do it in the harsh Leninist method. We're gonna do it as a really a free market experiment in these special economic zones. And it worked really well, which is why the special economic zones essentially eventually spread all over China and China itself accomplished, or at least partly accomplished this transformation, going from this Maoist subsistence agriculture, trying to do industrial society in everyone's farms and backyards, to a truly industrial, wealthy, modern economic powerhouse. The question was, and the question remains, how committed are the Chinese governments, and the Chinese governments, plural, as well as the Chinese communists, to those three represents? And Xi Jinping, when he took over in 2012, raised several eyebrows, questions, issues, even in his ascension to the top because she, unlike others' rivals at the time, like Li Keqiang, who is now China's number two, Li was, I think, slated to be China's number one, because Li was a technocrat like Deng, like Zhang Zemin, like Hu Jintao, who was at the time Chinese leader, China's leader. And she was what's called a princeling, which is a different category. Even Xi's father had been a top party official during uh, uh, Mao Zedong's rule, had been purged through the Cultural Revolution, but yet he still held this, um, this family name, cachet within the Communist Party circles. But the princelings acted very differently. They weren't necessarily committed to the same technocratic ideals under Deng Xiaoping that certainly Li Keqiang was, Wu, Wu Jinbo, several others at the time, you know, early, you know, the middle 2000s. And along with a fellow who was another, another technocrat by the name of Song Ping. Now Song has been involved in Chinese politics going back to Deng Xiaoping, as well as, you know, the, the, the rumor, I think the famous one about Song Ping is that when Zhang Zemin, 
was uh, retiring in the, the early 2000s. He held on to a couple of, of top posts rather than relinquish them, which made everybody uncomfortable because we don't do that anymore. We don't have this Mao, you know, this dictator. And apparently it was Song who talked Zhang Zemin into relinquishing two of the three posts so that uh, Hu Jintao would take over. Uh, there would be a pre peaceful transfer of power and we wouldn't have this kind of even just the, the hints of dictator for life that we now see from Xi Jinping. But in 2012, believe it or not, Xi went missing too before the, what was that, have been the um, 18th Party Congress, which by that point, he had already been sort of coronated. They had, the, they had handed the reins over or were, or were planning on handing the reins over, which triggered a lot of not necessarily backlash, but internal strife because the technocrats started to get the sense that Xi as a princeling didn't think like they had. Xi as a princeling was a committed communist, but not to all three of the represents. He definitely definitely thought about the second one, uh, prioritized it. You can see it today. He talks about this all the time, China being China, Chinese culture. However, the economic part of it, that's kind of been taken out of his hands because China's economy, which used to have or used to be a, an ascendant, uh, an ascendant system within the global hierarchy, has spun into trouble ever since he arrived. And really before he arrived, everybody had thought that the Chinese economy had weathered the global financial crisis, the global monetary crisis, the so-called Great Recession, fine. But as it turned out, and it was already turning out in 2011 before she was even installed, that eventually the euro dollar bell rings for everybody. Now, whether Xi could tell right away that meant that the China's economic transformation was coming to an end, or whether he was quasi committed to the first of Zhang's represents, that remains to be seen. We'll probably never know for sure. But we do know is that in the, what we call euro dollar number three, 2014, 2015, and 2016, when China's economy slowed dramatically, experienced all sorts of monetary and financial problems, they did give Li Keqiang, the technocrats, one last, one last shot at fixing what was wrong, the Keynesianism, the Keynesian textbook, stimulus, fiscal, monetary, all that stuff in 2016 didn't actually work. So, Moving into 2017 and 2018, the 19th Party Congress, of course, which Xi then installed himself as what looks to be dictator for life because he removed all term limits for all the top posts. The, these old age-old questions keep coming back. How committed is Xi to all three of the represents? How committed is Xi to the ultimate socialist goal? And what you hear from Xi Jinping is that he says he's still committed to all of them, except we know that, the, you know, again, the, China, the second one, Chinese culture, very much so. The first one, he sounds common prosperity. Some of the later slogans sounds like he's made peace or, or at least accepted the idea that the economic transformation is done. The work from the Jiang, that Deng Xiaoping had started has been finished and completed or near enough completed that the Chinese can begin to think about their second transformation out of the capitalist uh, capitalist phase and into the true socialist phase, which is why you see Xi walking around in these Mao outfits, these Mao suits, why he's mimicking Mao uh, in his mannerisms, in his speech, 
as well as his increasingly his authoritarianism, which means that rather than embrace all three represents, and particularly the third represent of a majority consensus opinion, as all committed Marxists are supposed to do, Xi might be more of a realistic and a pragmatist thinking, you know, there's, there's not much we can do here. The economy has gone as far as it can take us. We're going to adhere to Chinese cultural, uh, cultural characteristics. But as far as politics go, reform, and this is something that Xi talks about all the time, the cultural revolutions, the color revolutions, the revolutions that in the 1990s that brought down the communist governments, not just in Russia, but throughout Eastern Europe. So he doesn't seem to believe that China is ready for its political transformation because the other parts of the equation haven't yet been fulfilled, even though he's talking about it. And I think what he's doing is saying that the economy has gone as far as it can go. Therefore, we're going to declare victory. There's going to be a mission accomplished banner somewhere that he can celebrate China's communist transformation into this wealthy industrial powerhouse. But he knows it wasn't a complete one. Therefore, he has to turn his back on the third represent, which may be why Song Ping seemingly out of nowhere, used his own words about political reform against him. Because Song probably knows, at least that's the idea here, that Xi has in fact betrayed the principles of the technocrats, at least, the technocratic wing of the Communist Party. So what does all this mean? What it means is that the Chinese are wrestling with the consequences of lack of economic growth over the last 15 years. And the fact that it's continuing to be an issue that even strongman, quasi-dictator, maybe Emperor Xi, might have to deal with the fallout from it every now and again. Again, there was no coup. There probably isn't a big risk. But that doesn't mean that there aren't pockets of resistance that are looking at what the Chinese government is doing today and saying, there's only one represent here, not all three, and we're supposed to be working toward all three, and we're actually turning our back on two out of the three. The economy isn't working anymore. It's not, it's not really growing. In fact, post-2020, after COVID, everything is blamed on zero COVID this year, but it's really the weakness in the Chinese economy goes back to 2020. Like, like around the rest of the world, we've confused CPIs for economic activity, when in fact, the post-2020 environment, when you look beyond CPIs and, and consumer prices and other and producer prices, never really recovered all that much or all that well to begin with. So it's interesting this setup for the, the 20th Party Congress, which will be happening in the next couple of weeks, and what more that we can find from that. Because remember back in October of 2017 at the 19th Party Congress, Xi Jinping basically said, during the height of gro globally synchronized growth, the uh, optimism and positivity back then, Xi Jinping said, no, it's not happening. And then he set about on his authoritarian transformation. Will we see something else confirmed from Xi over the next couple of weeks? Is that why Song Ping made the video that he did, used the words and verbiage that he did? Was he trying to send a message? Was he trying one last gasp at adhering to all three of Zhang Zemin's three represents? Or was it just coincidence? We'll find out. But the consequences for the rest of the world are pretty grave. Because let's face it, the world, much of the world depends upon the Chinese economy 
doing what the Chinese economy had used had used uh, previously had done used to do, which Xi Jinping has thrown has given up thrown up his hands. That's not what China is for him any longer, which is why he can't turn it over to the majority. So the consequences extend far beyond J, uh, beyond uh, Xi Jinping, well beyond the borders of China and Beijing, across the rest of the world. If the Chinese economy continues to perform in the way that it has, global recession is just one of the uh, possible, maybe even likely outcomes. So the, pol the politics of China, the economics of China, and of course, market of potential and disorder and disruption as these things develop further in the direction of Xi, rather than maybe Song and the technocrats who are really old now and have lost a, a lot of their authority. Something to pay attention to as we move forward. Thank you for everybody for watching. As always, thank you uh, to uh, Eurodollar University members. Um, if you've noticed, these videos have been posted on two channels, Emil's channel as well as a new Eurodollar University channel. Over time, we're going to be moving the, these, these videos to exclusively Eurodollar University. So you're going to want to check that out on YouTube. It's at uh, Eurodollar University. You can search for it. You should be able to find out. Find out uh, after a couple of weeks, they'll be there exclusively. And as always, check us out at Eurodollar.University. There's stuff going on there that maybe you're interested in. Other than that, thank you. Again, thank you to all the members. Thank everybody for watching. We'll see you next time.